ignorance is a tough one to, to manage because where do you start? And so what the personal sport record did is said, look, we're going to follow the tenets of long-term athlete development. And so what that says is that when you're, say, a cyclist at 10, you don't want them riding 500 miles a day or a week even. You know, you want them to ride the bike in the summer, and then you want them to do cross-country skiing in the winter. And in the fall and spring, you might want to do other things. And that's built right into the tool because it says, how old are you? Well, here the National Sport Organization of Cycling is saying, you need to do this kind of riding. I want you to not only be road riding, but I want you to do mountain biking. And I want you to try a little bit of uh, other stuff, you know, downhill mountain biking. Like try a bunch of riding and keep the different options open because we're fully aware now in the sporty world that if you specialize from too young an age, you end up, you know, hating your sport, getting broken, and generally uh, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So let's. So it's built into the tool to say, hey, uh, dude, you're not supposed to train this much because you're actually only ten. And so you know, here's the maximum you're supposed to do. Then go off and play another sport. Go swimming. It is time to do something about inactive populations, from physical literacy to policy change to youth sport education and business development. We are a collective of smart and experienced servant leaders ready to take a stand. Welcome to the Quality Coaching Collective Podcast. It is time for action. Hello, my name is Martin Reeder. I'm a 2012 Canadian Beach Volleyball Olympian, Nike trainer, and athlete entrepreneur on a mission to positively shift the future. I will be your host as we speak with members of the collective to gain insight, challenge the status quo, and share our passion for improving health and sport culture. So clear your mind, grab a notebook, and let's dive into this episode. Welcome to the Quality Coaching Collective podcast. Today's guest, one that I'm very excited to speak with through the Canadian Olympic movement is Steve Podborski, two-time Olympian and bronze medalist in downhill skiing, officer of the Order of Canada, Canadian Olympic and Sports Hall of Fame inductee, Canadian chef de mission in 2014, Sochi, president and CEO of Parachute Canada, and the co-founder of Personal Sport Record with our dear friend Matt Young. Hello, Steve. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, I can't wait to find out what you're going to talk to me about. <laughs> well, it looks like there's a, a ton of sunlight coming through the side windows. Where Where are you calling from today? I'm a Toronto-based guy now. I spent about 30 years living in uh, Whistler and Vancouver. And then for that parachute presidency, they asked me to move back to Toronto. So here I am. Amazing. You're you're originally from Toronto, correct? Yeah. Yep. Don Mills boy. There's a good place to learn how to be a ski racer. <laughs> yeah, correct. Well, I'm born and raised on the other side. I was in Mount Washington on Vancouver Island. So oh, nice. Got, had some good good hills over there. And now whenever oh, yeah. I come to Toronto, it's like I could throw a football over these mountains. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right off the bat, Steve, would just love to get a few words that you would use to describe or define yourself. Uh, I'd say optimistic and persistent. I I always find fun in everything I do, but uh, I've also discovered uh, through a variety of ways that things don't come along that easily. So get in the middle of it and just keep pushing and, and generally good things happen. <laughs> 
I agree on all of those terms. Well, it certainly it shows as an athlete, it said you're a, a leader since 10 years old. So you've been going for it for, for a long time. Yep. Yeah. I had, you know what, it, and it's all the good part is because it is fun. It doesn't mean it's a, a, a burden. I, I, everything I, you know, I, I do stuff and it's always kind of fun and an adventure and yeah, you know, most of it works. Some of it doesn't, and you learn from your mistakes. Believe me, <laughs> that's correct. Well, were you always in the skiing side of things, or did you do any summer sports or any other activities? Oh yeah, uh, we had all kinds of stuff going on in the summer. My brother and I were on baseball teams, like hardball, and uh, a variety of different sports. And we lived up at the cottage, our ski chalet, all summer. So we'd get into all kinds of trouble up there. You know, mini bikes and race courses, and uh, just all kinds of. Uh, a variety of barely sports properties, catching uh, frogs, you know, not getting killed in any particular way. It was good. All the good stuff. Right yeah. on. Well, your intro was a mouthful and a lot of great stuff there that I can't wait to dive into. But how would you describe your current occupation? Well, I have got kind of a two-track approach. The primary uh, occupation is being the president and CEO of Parachute Canada. Parachute is an organization about injury prevention right across Canada. Our big, uh, the big thing we're doing at this moment, or have done, uh, we were contracted by the Public Health Agency of Canada to provide a harmonized concussion protocol for all of the national sport organizations in this great nation. Wow. So what that means is that all of the sports have the same very, very recent uh, protocols to use. And so it, uh, in, in a practical term, uh, if you have a simple concussion and you're over 18, you can get back to your sport in as little as a week. And if it takes more than two weeks, uh, then you have a persistent concussion, you have another problem entirely. But you know, it used to be that you would have to spend a long time in a dark room before you could resurface and start coming back to the light. Uh, now, if, it, if it's a week, it's, it's not nearly as onerous as it used to be. And <laughs> that's, that's our deal. That's, it's a high calling, a current sport culture. There's a lot happening within the discussions around concussion. Is there anything top level that you could share right off the bat? Well, I think that the, the, the top level is just that. Uh, actually, the reason I said over 18 is because when your brain is under 18, it's still forming and quite uh, malleable. It changes a lot. And so you have a longer recovery period, and it's not as easy to actually define what right is. And so one of the, the good fun things we got into is we wrote a note uh, and or did a release and said, look, uh, if you're under 18 doing a uh, standardized test, you know, baseline testing is, has no utility. And use the money for something fun like going to, uh, uh, I don't know, anything fun besides giving it to somebody else where something that won't work to either diagnose or actually uh, help you uh, recover. Makes sense. And in terms of your involvement in the Olympics, you are an Olympian, which I'm, I'm so excited about. You've done a lot for, for Canada. You've moved into the Order of Canada. Can you talk, to, talk about that a little bit? Because I have no idea what that means. Uh, the Order of Canada is the highest peacetime award a Canadian can earn. There are actually three levels. There's member, officer, and companion. The member is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, you do outstanding service in your community. Uh, officer is outstanding service for your country. And companion is an outstanding lifetime of service to your country. Uh, so these are not inconsiderable honors. They're, they, that's, one of the, that's maybe the finest one I've had um, offered to me 
the, many of the, the rest of them I've actually earned. But this one was like, here you go, Steve. Thank you very much for your service. I, I'm delighted with it, and I am every day. Amazing. Well, in in reading about your history with the Olympics, you went from athlete and, and championed um, some work with 2010 in Vancouver for those Olympic Games. And were you the co-chef de mission for that Games? Yes, I ended up being the assistant chef, actually. And uh, uh, there's usually one or, or possibly two. So I was one of the two uh, assistant chefs at that Games, and uh, I was involved in the bid committee both domestically, so we mm. competed with Quebec City and Calgary for the right to bid internationally, and then finally uh, went to the international bid, and uh, well, my responsibility in global terms was to get all the uh, IOC members who were former athletes who were Olympians to vote for us. So we got the votes in Prague and the Czech Republic in 2003 won by a stirring amount of three votes, and, uh, <laughs> and away we went on the Olympic Games. Amazing. And, and that Olympics changed the chemistry in Canada for, I would say, the Olympic movement. There was a lot that happened there. What did the, the 2010 Olympics mean to you? Well, I think that it really was a, a transformational moment. At that, uh, we were on the podium was being started up, and that added a, a lot of money into the the Canadian sports system at the elite level. Uh, certainly the Canadian Olympic Committee was transforming itself from uh, the guys who gave you your uniform to the people who were your performance partner. And so being part of uh, the, the Canadian Olympic Committee and part of the, the original group that did the, the first uh, athlete uh, seminars uh, was certainly uh, important. And what we found as an aside is that we did an exit survey. We had the top five athletes from all the different winter sports come to visit and we're getting ready to go to the games in Torino, Turin, Italy. And uh, we did an exit survey after three days of telling them how great they were and how they're the ones that are the best and we're sending a great team and here's what the Olympics looks like. It's going to be very different from the world championships or anything else you've ever done. And let's bury some loonies in the right place. And we had them all wild up. And at the end we did the exit survey 70% 70% of them, 70% of them said, I didn't know I was one of the ones that's supposed to win the medal, but now that I do, I'm on it. And I think there was really a, it was a moment for me going, whoa, you're a top five in the world? <laughs> you, you, of course you're supposed to win medals. <laughs> it's, and so I think, you know, eventually Canadians stopped being that kind of uh, blind to the facts and, and now we're in the middle of the hunt and uh, aiming to be the number one country in the world. And it's a, an aspirational goal, beating uh, all those other top countries are two of yep. them. It's going to be tricky, but uh, it can be done one day. Absolutely it can. And I, I'm good friends with a few summer Olympians and, and acquaintance with a few winters. And I definitely have noticed a shift in intention uh, over the time knowing them just based on happy to be there, happy to participate to this one's mine. This is my race. I can I can add some color to that because yeah. Canadians typically think that uh, uh, you know we are a winter sport nation and we should be getting at the top of the nation uh, boards. But if we hark back to the games that I won my bronze medal, uh, that was one of two medals that Canada won at mm. those games. So I won half the medals for Canada in 1980, <laughs> and it's like really, really, you know. Now we're winning 27. Yeah. Back then we went too, and it's and we have transformed ourselves uh, both as a sporting nation and in, as a culture, a sport culture, and uh, and when I look back to Vancouver and I find people 
actually singing together on the street, singing the national anthem. Back in my day, people would have looked at you funny and kind of scurried away, like, what's, what's he doing? But now everybody joins in because that's the right thing to do, and we're proud of our country and proud of our sporting heritage. Absolutely. Well, one of, I think it is currently my, my greatest life achievement is representing Canada in, in 2012 in London, and to be Canadian in London for people to be celebrating Canada, and it was just such an honor because people hold Canada as such a highlight. Yeah. And uh, it was such such a highlight in my life. And <clears throat> we had uh, uh, an incredible chef de mission on, on our side. How am I blanking on his name right now? Mark Tewksbury. There Mark we go. Mark Tewksbury. Yeah, he Great was guy. he was fantastic in 2012. And I just remember right before we were leaving to go into the opening ceremonies, he kind of stopped everyone. Okay, everybody, we're hold link arms. We're going to walk in 10 people by 10 people. We're going to stay composed. No cell phones. Let's walk out like a team. And we all bought into it right on mark. And then the second we went through the door, everybody just went, bah! <laughs> just went totally nuts. But Mark Mark was such a composed person every single day. And, and we got so much strength from him on, on the daily at uh, at the Olympic House. And he was such a great person to represent Canada in 2012. And I'm saying that because in 2014, you were the chef de mission for a yeah. Canadian team in, uh, in Sochi. Can you speak about that experience a little bit, leading our Canadian teams in Russia? It's, uh, well, Russia is a challenge. As uh, we're fully aware now, things were really going sideways in their, that nation in terms of uh, the doping. And uh, it's just outrageous what happened. And Perhaps we can go back to that and, and just focus on the chef side. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were very concerned going into Sochi about uh, the security. Uh, the Russians did an excellent job as nothing happened at the end. But there are some things that had us uh, quite concerned. Uh, uh, yet we managed to uh, keep our people safe, and that's really number one. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that the profound change that has been brought about over the last several Olympiads is that uh, rather than a team of individuals who are happening to be marching in together wearing the same outfit, uh, by the time we get our Olympians to the actual games themselves, they're a unified, coherent group of athletes who are supporting each other in many different ways. And that it's not just, I uh, wonder what those guys are doing in the figure skating arena. It's like, I I'm going to go and check out how Patrick's doing and support him. And then you know later on, he's going to turn up with me maybe with Kaylee up at the bobsled and uh, that kind of approach has given them great strength and, and made them far more resilient and uh, able to succeed so uh, I was happy to be you know at the front you can put a quotation marks around that of that team but in fact I felt my role was to clear all the, the challenges out of the way so that they could worry about uh, their athletic performance and, and supporting each other and I think we managed to get it done yeah absolutely it was it was a great games and now, looking ahead to 2018, are you participating in any way, shape, or form in that Olympic bid or uh, movement? Uh, yes, I'm on the board of the Canadian Olympic Committee, and I sit on the Governance and Ethics Committee. And so our role at, at the board is to support uh, Calgary, should they wish to go forward, and also to uh, keep our Olympic team uh, as successful as they can possibly be. So I've got an eye on the ball in terms of uh, ensuring that the next generation continues to be at least as successful as this and possibly more. Amazing. And so you just said next gen, and that's where I wanted to really take this, is taking that 2018 looking ahead. How right now is the Canadian Olympic Committee, and you yourself through your influence in sport, looking to impact the future generations through the inspiration of Olympic movement? 
Well, there's a couple of uh, aspects to it. One is the practical application of cold, hard cash. And uh, after Sport Canada, the Canadian Olympic Committee is the second largest funder of sport in Canada, primarily through On the Podium. But we do a variety of other direct uh, investments in in other ways, which I won't go into now, but millions and millions and millions of dollars go back into the sports system and help accelerate our our Olympic teams and our national teams, Uh, as well as other support of the National Sport Federations. It's a a very uh, robust relationship now. Everybody's, I think, very happy with the way things are going. Uh, In terms of the philosophical side, one of our missions is to spread Olympism in Canada. And so we have fantastic uh, programs in schools, Talking about the Olympics, we have our athletes going all over Canada to different events. So we're really everywhere and growing in our influence and scope as as the days and years go by. I feel it. Well, two points that I can make is one, I'm very close friends with Chris Overholt. Uh, For those of you who don't know, he's the uh, CEO of the Canadian Olympic Committee. And uh, I've been training him for the last five years to climb mountains and come back down safely. But the the impact since 2010 just in terms of the buy-in from corporate sponsors and and how the movement has really professionalized itself is phenomenal and it's really empowered the athletes to stand behind a brand that really means something and yes indeed and the brand means something and so do they and so there's this uh, uh so for example one of the great challenges used to be that you know the the national sport organization would say well why would i let you put you know fill in the blank my athlete on with your logo and we're going, well, because it'll really help the athlete and it'll eventually help you. And they're going, ah, I don't know. And so we found a way now to actually put the National Sport Organization's logo in with ours mm-hmm. along with the athlete. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it, rather than say it's you and I, that there's a separation, it's much more inclusive. It's a very uh, supportive process. And I see nothing but advantages for our athletes. And, and the National Sport Federations, which makes it easier, once again, for the athletes to succeed. For sure. Well, I was always one of the athletes post-Olympics that put my hand up for everything. I said, yes, <laughs> put, put me in, coach. And so I wound up being the really good number two or number three guy in Toronto for speaking engagement. So I'd usually awesome. get, the, I'd get the call 24 hours or 48 hours before after someone else had canceled. But totally fine with that. Love it. I didn't win any medals, but I, I love representing the Olympic movement. It, I think it's so powerful. Um, and it's really supported me in my life. So um, tons of opportunities post-Olympics for those athletes who are listening. Um, so we may live in the Olympic side here. We may go to parachute, but just what issues are you seeing in your area of expertise and, and what solutions are you providing for them? I see in sport there's, uh, there's issues of uh, safety and security. And so there's a lot of uh, challenges uh, in terms of, well, concussion we've already talked to, but then there's also, uh, you know, coaches who are abusing their athletes in a variety of different ways uh, that needs to be addressed. And so uh, on the personal sport record side of the business, uh, we put in a a, a module that basically says, tell someone. And if you can't find a way to uh, talk to the organization about the problem you're having with your coach or with your physio or with whoever it is, mm-hmm. then then you turn to us, to the personal sport record, and put in your stuff, and we will take it to the leadership of your sport organization and get it dealt with as quickly as possible. Wow. That is a yeah. powerful tool. It, it, that's what the sport record is meant to create accountability. It's meant to create uh, an ability to say this is where you're at today and that's where you need to be tomorrow. And when we came upon this issue, we thought, well, here's a perfect place 
it's anonymous. It, you can put it in, you know, you don't have to put your name in. If you say, I just need somebody to know about this so you can do something about it globally, we can take care of that too. Or you can do it, and it's also scaled up for adults and for younger kids because, you know, the younger kid module actually talks in kid language. So you're, <laughs> so you're not reading some, some article from a top-class lawyer. You're actually reading a note from... <laughs> almost from a peer so you can say here hey, buddy is this something not working yeah it's not working for me I got this is happening to me okay well we'll fix it and we'll take it to get help get it fixed so it's a it's a I think a smart thing to do it's the right thing to do because all the way through our philosophy has been to support the athlete so they get the, the best and they end up being happy healthy people when they grow up enjoying sport their whole life that's that's superb. Well, even just diving into the personal sport record a little bit more beyond that incredible um, little, uh, I guess you'd say, feature within uh, within the product. How are you guys supporting the athletes and supporting the coaches as you grow personal sport record? Well, the, the basic premise is that if you've got a coach who's saying, I've got you, Susie, athlete for the whole season in this sport, and I'm going to coach you all year, and at the end of the season, I'm going to say, you're better. And Susie Athlete and the coach, Joe Coach, are going, well, how do I know that? How do I know I'm better? He just told me. I, I skated or I ran or I kicked. And, you know, how do I know? And so what the personal sport record does is gives you easy access to measurement tools. How fast you do the beep test. How high do you jump? How, uh, how uh, can you touch your toes? Like how flexible are you and mm -hmm. how agile are you? And you put in all the different metrics for your for for physical testing, as well as your sport. How am I doing in my forward passes? How am I doing it running backwards? How, what are my skills set when playing you know, with my hockey stick in different positions? And so you put in all those metrics at the beginning of the year, and then you progress. And you'll see that Susie's, you know, is really, really good with her hands, but really needs to work with her feet. And so you give her exercises to work on that. And so you end up with an accountability all the way through. Mm -hmm. So not only does Susie actually get better, but the coach goes, I am a great coach. And the parents go, wow, you're an amazing coach because Susie's way better. And we had no idea because the last five years we haven't seen any measurements at all. And now we've got all kinds of them. And next year, when you go to the new coach, you don't just have a blank slate who's the Susie. You've got actually a whole context about what she's good at, what she's bad at, what injuries she might have how you have to take care of her and what kind of coaching she likes. And so you get to accelerate their process. They have fun the whole time and you end up with a, a better athlete. We even put in stuff like knowing how much work you're doing because some kids end up in multiple teams. And unless you actually know you're on five different teams, you're going to run the kid out of gas pretty quick. So we, we cover off that. How do you take care of your kids so they have a good time, know what they're getting good at, and the coach is accountable to the kid and to himself or herself and to the families and the sport associations. It's so necessary. Well, let, let's take a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Sure. You know, we're, we're in a time where kids are, are being encouraged slash forced to specialize in sport at younger ages. The professionalization of youth sport is at a level like we, we've never seen before. The pressure's there. The parents are there. And, and how much are we suffering from, you know, the kids and the parents just not knowing what they don't know? I think it's rampant is a good word. I, I think ignorance is a tough one to, to manage because where do you start? And so what the personal sport record did is said, look, we're going to follow the tenets of long-term athlete development. And so what that says is that when you're 
say, a cyclist at 10, you don't want him riding 500 miles a day or a week even. You know, you want him to ride the bike in the summer, and then you want him to do cross-country skiing in the winter. And in the fall and spring, you might want to do other things. And that's built right into the tool because it says, how old are you? Well, here the National Sport Organization of Cycling is saying, you need to do this kind of riding. I want you to not only be road riding, but I want you to do mountain biking, and I want you to try a little bit of uh, other stuff, you know, downhill mountain biking, like try a bunch of riding and keep the different options open because we're, we're fully aware now in the sporty world that if you specialize from too young an age, you end up you know, hating your sport, getting broken, and generally uh, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So let's. So it's built into the tool to say, hey, uh, dude, you're not supposed to train this much because you're actually only 10. And so you know, here's the maximum you're supposed to do, then go off and play another sport, go swimming. Amazing. Now, moving into something maybe a little bit more personal, um, but it could be attached to, once again, the personal sport record or the Olympic side, just looking to get a, a recent success that you, you've experienced uh, in, in your life. Oh, boy. Well, getting the job at Parachute Canada, right. because uh, I had been uh, working as a corporate guy at TELUS, who's been a fan- fantastic company to work for. And I started there after the Olympic bid, and we built up our whole sports side of the business and supported national teams for them right through the whole Olympic period. And then I segued into community investment, which is our donation side of our business. TELUS uh, donates, call it $40 million a year into the Canadian uh, charity economy, and that's bigger than everybody else by a long shot. We're mm-hmm. a very generous corporate donor. And so taking all those disparate uh, modules after I was recruited by Parachute and turned them into being the president and CEO was a huge, huge win. And uh, I'm very, very proud of that. At the same time, what I, you know, the long term side of me has been I was asked a while ago, uh, how are things going? This is like in the late in 90s, late 90s, let's say. Mm-hmm. It was actually the guy said it was uh, he, he's this great tennis player from Australia. John Newcomb, he won Wimbledon three times. I was telling him how messed up Alpine Canada was, and he said to me, he looked me down, and he said, what are you doing about it? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I hated him for about a minute. And then I realized he's absolutely right. I mean, I'm one of the guys throwing bricks, and now I'm a considerable, I'm really, really skilled at catching bricks. So <laughs> sitting on the board of the Canadian Olympic Committee, there's lots of people who want to tell me how to run the, the world better. Right. And I say, that's great. You know, I'm, part, I'm in here and helping make it great, and along with sitting on a variety of other committees in the International Ski Federation, with the Canadian Snow Sports Association, and with a, we run a World Cup race in Lake Louise for alpine skiing. I'm on the board of that. So being a lifelong, uh, not half of my lifelong uh, dedicated volunteer is, has been super uh, rewarding. I love how you've connected all of your life passions into something that's that's super meaningful. And, you know, I've done some work with, uh, I, I sit on the board for the Sandbox Project. And uh, so, Christine Hansen, right? Yes, Christine Hansen. That's exactly it. So uh, I've done some work with Pamela Fusili. We presented together yep. at a couple of conferences. And uh, right now we're all working on a, a primer paper on injury prevention, connecting physical literacy and mental health. So um, a lot of great stuff coming up the, the chain as well. And it's a huge passion of mine. So... I want to look up to you and say thank you. It's, it's great. Well, well, you've connected all the dots. Pam Fuseli is my vice president of knowledge transfer and stakeholder relations at Parachute Canada. And uh, I was just uh, with uh, Christine yesterday on a physical literacy for life board meeting. It's a charity as part of 
Sport for Life, which so I'm the chair of that. I mean, how many different <laughs> things can you do, right? Uh, but you know, we, we're trying to connect all those dots because if you have a kid who's physically literate, there's the ability of that, that boy or girl to actually turn into a functional human being and live a long life to the fullest increases dramatically, healthy, wealthy, and wise, and happy. So you know, it's all connected. 100%. Well, that's a nice little shift to... Based on your knowledge, uh, what would be the biggest opportunity for impact in the youth or sport landscape? I think it's uh, to re uh, uh, give back childhood to children. <laughs> and uh, I was at a, a conference for outdoor play a couple of months ago in Calgary. And uh, the studies show that if you let your kid go out there and run around and, and do all the things that kids do, then they'll be happier, healthier, uh, all the good things will happen. Yet it's almost impossible today to actually let your kid just walk to school. Even though the actual statistics prove they're far more likely to hurt them in a car accident than they are to get hit or hurt <laughs> walking or riding their bikes. And so, uh, you know, even though we know that it's better for them to walk to school or ride their bike to school, we still can't let go. And so finding a way to, to give childhood back to the kids to let them run around and and do those things to be able to make it fun you don't say let's work on baseball you say let's go play baseball right and so let the play thing come back into it i think that'd be enormously valuable because they'll enjoy sports for their lifetime as opposed to having it be work that they can't wait to stop doing i agree on all fronts i I hate to say this, but they, they have the rest of their lives to, to hate it. The, the kids, yeah. you know. Yeah, and you'll have done a good job of making sure that they hate it because you had to do it every day. Dad, please let me stop. Oh, you've got to be the best. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm working with a, a dear friend right now, uh, the legacy coaching. His name is Vince Luciani, and we're looking to bring in um, – so a new way of thinking within youth development of sport and, and not, we're not trying to change the world. And certainly we're, we're in with a lot of different people, but bringing in the love component and bringing the, the psychological component of, you know, Oh God, uh, Art, honestly, when kids list what they, why they do sports and stuff, you know, the first thing they list is it's fun. Yeah. Right. So are you, is any coach, any coach measured on, do you let the kids have fun? I don't think so. Guess what's in the personal sport record. Tell me that's in there. It's in but, there. Yeah, beautiful. Of course it is. Because yeah. what happens is, is we, we thought, okay, so what do you do? Like here you got this coach doing all this analysis of the kid. You know, yeah, here's how high he can jump and here how good he is in the forward passes. And, you know, she's really good at defense, but offensively she needs to get a little bit more on the front foot. And then we thought, well, what is, how do you analyze a coach? Where's the feedback for the coach? So there's a, a whole module where the kids feed back to the coach. It's anonymous and it's you know, all put together. But am I having fun? Mm -hmm. Did I, you know, all those questions that you go back to the coach and the coach gets to see how he's doing or how she's doing mm -hmm. using these criteria. Uh, it's fantastic because now they, they're accountable. They go, well, wow, I can get better do by doing this one simple thing. How great is that? It's amazing. Well, well, it's way better than having the parents angry at you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're living in a time where we all want our kids to be elite, you know, elite, yeah. the first one to walk, elite throwers at five and, you know, nine years old, the world record holders. And, it, you know, it, it's wonderful to 
get statistics on how high they're jumping and how fast they're going, but they're not fully developed. They're like two phases away from being fully developed. So yeah, as a metric, great, but don't live into that thinking your kid is destined for success in the NHL and you're putting that on them at eight years old. It's it's so tough. So yeah, well, that's why you have to have that feedback loop into the the coaches to make sure that they're looking at the right things. And that goes back to the the whole notion of the long term athlete development. Because mm-hmm. if you can't if you can't make them skate, you know, fifty hours a week, it's only supposed to be three. Then <laughs> you got to kind of back off a little and figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there a myth or a misconception that you frequently come across in your area that? people might be getting wrong or, or just not quite right uh, in terms of their mindset and how they approach it? I think it goes to the the notion that my kid can be the best in the world. <laughs> That's a misconception for most people on the planet. Uh, I saw a good article or a, a broadcast in the States about that uh, soccer player they have who might be the first guy from the States to be a one-name guy. And uh, they're talking to his parents and they said, you know, is he, does he, like, what about those camps? And what about diets? And what about all those things? And he said, they don't work. You know, we would, after a game, we'd go out and have a slushy. And, and he would only play one game a week and practice twice a week. And it, it, all that other stuff is not going to make your kid be the best player in the world. It's, it's, it's many other things that come built into the kid. Totally. Well, there, there was a, a recent share, I think, through the Quality Coaching Collective of a gentleman down in Australia who just went, you cannot yeah. attach elite in front of your child's name. They are not the best in the world. That doesn't At happen. 10, not yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah. At 12, ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, and that's the thing. And, and you can't know that they're going to make it because it's just so many, so many people on the planet. And uh, it's just, you know. If you actually take it back, as he says, to the notch where the kid's actually having fun and playing and getting better every year. And he said, look, you know, next year, next week, the kid might be like the best hockey player, like field hockey. And the week after that, he might be a weightlifter. And like, why are you worried about it right now? Let him just keep going. I, I, I thought it was a fantastic thing. I shared on all my stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Is this this one's a bit of a rogue question, but is is there any dialogue within the Canadian Olympic Committee around these issues, around this conversation within Canada? Just considering we have a smaller population, you know, we can't really enslave everyone and then see who's the the, the last man standing in every single yeah. sport. We just run out of people. So, you know, is there is there a dialogue around caring for our youth uh, around the paradigm of this conversation? Yeah, in the Canadian Olympic Committee, it's uh, definitely a smaller part of it because we deal with the very high end, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we, you know, at three on the podium, we're now going to the next generation. So it's top eight or top sixteen, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but in, as part of our educational process, as part of our uh, caring for the athlete, they're, they're, the whole modules around uh, uh, the school side is yes, because we work with. A variety of now of the different provinces via sport in BC, for example, and this is part of that whole culture of 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 you know keeping people loving sport as opposed to to the opposite. Mm-hmm. Well, what would change look like in in your terms for this whole elite youth player and, and reversing that? Are we talking kind of sports sampling here? Are we encouraging people to just play more sports and enjoy their lives? Shocking concept uh, at younger ages. What what do you kind of think change would look like for that? Well, I think it's a culture shift, much like we achieved with getting Canadians to become winter sport uh, and to become more proud of our, our athletes. It's a it's a global shift. Uh, we'll call it North American sport uh, mentality, 
let's say, uh, to realize that if you want your kid to be successful, the best way is to not start today, uh, is to let them do many, many sports. The, 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 the guy who runs sport at the Ohio State University has all kinds of statistics. Uh, all the top universities there go, look, I, I don't want a specialized athlete. If you give me the guy, the boy or girl who's done five or ten sports, three even, uh, through high school, when they get to university, I've got an athlete that I can really make great. Uh, but that's the time when they're getting 18 and older, when their body's finally maturing and they're turning into something that they are, they, they're stopped changing. Uh, that's when physically and mentally they're ready to start specializing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good story about the fellow on the uh, Seattle Seahawks, a lineman who never played football in his whole life. And they recruited him, still having never played football, to play professional football because he was the right shape and they could teach you it's not uh, that hard and so uh you know he's still playing football and making a lot of money well that organization as well as the all blacks out of new zealand but the seattle seahawks they stand for something different um i'm a huge follower of michael gervais who's their sports psychologist and Mm. how he approaches the development of their teams as, as well as their entire coaching staff they're they're connected to something so much deeper. How they use sport to build humans is is so incredible, especially coming from you know an organization like the NFL. They truly stand for something. Yes, they're definitely outliers, and I, I think that's really a good lesson. Is that if you're in there doing the same thing as everybody else, it's pretty much going to get the same result. So <laughs> stick it on the edges. It's a little less comfortable, but you get results. <laughs> I love it. There's the challenge. Well, yep. speaking of challenges, uh, any words of advice for Olympians like myself, uh, future Olympians or, or high performance athletes that are, you know, 18 plus, what kind of dialogue can we champion to the younger generations or what can we start to bring to life within our experiences uh, so we can help facilitate that culture shift? I think that there's really a real opportunity there. I, my, uh, myself was, was very influenced by meeting a, a woman named Nancy Green, who was Canada's female athlete of the century. She won an Olympic gold and silver medal in the 1968 Olympic Winter Games in Grenoble, France. Uh, and she came back to Toronto, actually, and had a ticker tape parade up Bay Street, which I got to go in because I was part of a Little League team. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we'd actually won that year. And so this this impression you receive from the people like you and me uh, is very, very strong on, on youth and kids. And you have a chance to say a, a phrase or two that will stick in their consciousness for their whole life. And, uh, you know, asking what other sports you do and mm-hmm. how, uh, how, you know, how many sports do you do and uh, kind of leading questions in that area yeah. will point them in the right way because, you know, and being curious about the kid and, and confident in them will be uh, valuable. And you cannot know if you're going to make a big impression or not, but uh, being intentional to point them in the right direction. If, if only one goes the right way, you've made a, an enormous change, and uh, I highly recommend it. I love it. Well, it's a lot of Canadian Olympians care, and so whenever they're present, they're present and they care. I love it. I love doing the engagements because every single person is committed to that conversation that they're having. And uh, the, the cohort of Canadian Olympics, is, they're amazing. They really are. I get yeah, so much so inspiration we, from uh, Like when we were at, uh, in Whistler, I lived in Whistler, raising our kids there, and Melissa Hollingsworth came to the high school and spoke about sliding. And the next thing I know, my daughter has got in some kind of thing, and she's now in Calgary and uh, sliding down the, 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 the track on a sled. And 
and I'm kind of going to myself, this, this, could be, this could be a problem, or maybe it'll be great, I don't know. So we wait for the first session to go by, and then I phone her up, I say, hey, Maddie, how are you doing? She goes, it's great, I hit the wall in turn eight, I'm in the clinic. Like, oh. <laughs> so, so she has a great time, she loves every minute of it. A couple weeks later, they've been uh, tested, they're pulling sleds around at uh, SFU, and now they're going to be ski jumpers. So they're both going off the jump out in Calgary. I don't know. It's like there is a perfect example of like the, the, the different things that come along. Go get your kids, do different stuff. I mean, I'll never go off a darn ski jump. They're just darn scary. Yeah. But my kids will go and uh, have these great experiences. <laughs> well, taking the concept of caring, because you obviously do, what change or shift in culture are you personally championing through your behavior? It's the accident prevention side. And so, uh, you know, I've always been the guy who really likes seatbelts and things. When I was uh, being recruited to be the president and CEO of Parachute, uh, it's an accident or injury prevention charity. And they're going, wait a minute, you're a downhill ski racer. Aren't you kind of the opposite of what we want? And I said, actually, no, because I want to win races, not fly down the hill quickly. I want to get down the hill quickly and win. Mm -hmm. And you sure can't win when you've injured yourself. I was a very early and keen follower of uh, injury prevention, especially for me, because I wanted me to be healthy the whole time so I could kick ass. And so uh, that's that's the way the world works. So I, I look at it in a much more global way. Not only am I going to prevent injury to me, but how can I help everybody around me uh, avoid uh, preventable injuries. Mm. So, you know, when I talk to people about uh, crossing the street, they're saying, oh, you shouldn't text because, you know, you should be watching. And I'm going, of course you watch out because that keeps you from being killed. But the guy or the girl driving the car, when they get you in the intersection, they're entirely at fault. You, mm -hmm. you, you're, you have a right to be there. And so, it, but it's easy to prevent running somebody over. <laughs> you just have to pay attention. And, uh, and there's a, a whole host of ways to not do it right. So it's really just lifting the bar. I want people to care for each other and understand if this is the one thing, understand the pure cost of running somebody over. So uh, I think we're getting close to 60 people in Toronto who have been killed on our streets, six zero. My wife saw a 23-year-old woman the other day who had just been run over uh, right around the corner from where we live. And it's not like a statistic because 60 is a big number. It's like how many families have lost their daughter, their wife, their mother, their aunt. Their, it's just outrageous. Mm -hmm. And they're mourning and, and they've got to bury them and, or take them. It's just awful. And that's 60. And here we are. We've got a few more days to go. Right? How many is that a month? That's just way too many. Too many. And one of, them, one of them was a little five-year-old kid on on Lakeshore Boulevard. His grandfather was taking him for a bike ride and he hit a little joggle in the pavement. Out into the street he goes. The grandfather, of course, is just demolished. The guy driving the car has just killed a little five-year-old kid on a bicycle. The parents are distraught. My group, Parachute, was going to do a Safe Kids Week presentation at the kids' public school. We didn't do it the next week because it would be awful, but every kid in that school is, is like ruined. And so it is not just a statistic, it's people. Yeah. And we have to know that the human cost of, of uh, preventable injury is just way too high. 
that was my rant. No, I, I love it. And, and as an athlete, you know, you, you only get one body. We know that very well. And so we take care of it. But there's a lot of non-athletes out there. There are people who, who you know, either stopped playing sport a long time ago and don't think, think of themselves as athletes and start taking their body for granted. And, you know, we live in a time where we can recycle things really quickly. We can, oh, this doesn't work anymore. Or buy a new one. That doesn't happen with your body yeah. or your life. Yep. It's when you got use it and keep it precious. Not only, and if at the very least, if, if you don't care about yours, care about your families, <laughs> care about your kids, care about your community. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's come back to that first question. I'm going to narrow the focus a little bit. You obviously care so much about Canada. Uh, you, you do so through the, the Canadian Olympic Committee very well and by serving the athletes and our nation. Is there a moment within your Olympic journey, could be with yourself, uh, celebrating another athlete, or, or just a moment, an event that stands out that uh, is just a memorable moment in your life? Well, in the Olympic world, uh, certainly winning the bronze medal was was magic. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, you know, I made it to the male award ceremony. Actually, there's a long story there, but we won't bore ourselves with that. I, I got to the medal ceremony and, and got up and, and received my medal. And uh, I have to say that one of the, the things I believe fully is that you really have a limited capacity for wonder. There's only so much like wonder you can have inside you and so many other emotions are just, you finally just overflow. And I was so full, I can barely remember the moment. I was just mm-hmm. full of like joy and happiness and wonder. And it was a fantastic, fantastic moment and, and um, literally overwhelming. The other sporting side, I would say, is, is the, the pure joy of success, uh, like in the, in the sporting moment. And I was uh, racing at Kitzbühel. Kitzbühel is sort of like the, 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 the Monaco Grand Prix or the Masters. It's the one. It's really, really, really dangerous and scary and fast. And there's the tens of thousands of people all freaking out and I came zipping across the line and pulled to a stop and looked up and you know I'd won the race and it was one of those just yeah moments mm. it was fantastic so beautiful there you go Do and you... so sport is fun because you get the feedback right away <laughs> business is a lot tougher <laughs> you never know if you've really really succeeded because there's always a little bit of this and that yeah to yeah deal with. absolutely well thank you so much for sharing that I I always, I think my screen is frozen right now, but it always brings tears to my eyes hearing Olympic athletes share their stories. There's just this tangible feeling when I, I can just jump in that and just receive. Oh, share it all. I mean, that's the beauty of sport is that it engenders such emotion. Yeah. I mean, you can talk to somebody about banking until you're blue and they just don't care. And like, what's your insurance policy look like? And uh, let's talk about injury prevention. There's something that'll really get your juices flowing. <laughs> but when you start talking about sport and uh, that, it's really transforms the conversation, not only just for you personally, but for your kids and your family. You know, you, you got, uh, you, you know, your dad is out playing in the beer leagues and he'll come back and he'll be all pumped up to tell you about what went on yeah. uh, because it's fun. Right? Well, kudos to, to Derek Kent and his marketing team. I, I don't think there's a single commercial for the Canadian Olympic Committee that I, I can get through dry-eyed. I usually, <laughs> usually, yeah, usually break it's up. It's all so about the best in us for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, shifting more to the Quality Coaching Collective, which is why you and I are talking here today. Um, why did you want to be a part of the Quality Coaching Collective? 
Well, I think that there's opportunity for, well, uh, to, to have people who are outliers, people who are the best in their field, people who have a range of skills and vision and approaches to offer solutions to the world. And people are looking, people uh, are, uh, don't have all the answers. And you want to get a collective like us of people who can give you those solutions quick, fast, and knowing it's the best. Uh, and so uh, it's not even like-minded individuals in terms of what our answers are. It's like-minded in terms of being, I, I think, the very best that you can uh, find in the, in the planet. And so uh, get a good bunch of guys together, uh, that being guys, being girls and guys, yes. the same uh, group, and go out there and, and help the world get better. Again, it's part of that thing where, you know, if, if it's not you that's going to fix it, then you're the one part of the problem. So get out there and fix it. And that's us. I love it. Well, that's, that's why we're standing here, people of action. That's it. Right. Right on. Um, where do you think lies the greatest possible impact for the QCC? Well, I think it, it, it's by, it, you have to change a generation. I, 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 you know, I'm a grown-up now. I remember the blue box change when it came along saying to my mom mom you can't throw the bottle in the garbage she's like what are you talking about that's where the bottle goes no no you put it in the blue box what's a blue box honey right and so now that was driven by our children that change it went through the schools through the community at the kid level and found its way into our society and that's i think what we have to do today is we have to change an entire generation of youth so that they can be the, the next leaders who have got a, a better approach, a thoughtful approach to sport and ultimately to life, because often sport is a metaphor for uh, living our lives. Agreed. Well, that's, that's the journey that I'm now embarking on is really truly tapping into the vessel of sport as an educator for life. And um, you've shared a lot here with me that gets me super excited, Steve. Well, dude, you know what? A thing that, that to always remember is that who is coaching the kids? It's the coaches, right? right? Parents have less impact. And if we can reach the kids through our coaches, and guess what we are, a quality coaching collective, then we're doing the right thing. So let's get out there, and it's the old saying, let's go and kick some ass. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's, let's end on that, Steve. It has been an absolute honor to speak with you today. Uh, you shared a ton of great, great nuggets, and I just love hearing the, the passion in your voice for how you are a true servant leader for Canada. So I thank you for everything that you've given Canada and uh, everyone who's had access to you or you through everything that you have uh, contributed to. So thank you very much. It's a pleasure, Martin. And I see the same things in you. Let's just keep it going. That's the plan. All right, Steve. Cheers. Yeah.